Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. My name is Akshay Taylor and I'll be your host today. Today we're joined by Beck Scoff. Um, <laughs> yeah, do you want to say a bit about yourself real quick? Okay, uh, my name's Bex and um, I'm a friend of Akshay's. And uh, I've got a psychology degree and I'm currently doing a postgraduate diploma in cognitive behavioural therapy. So I'm training as a therapist and I work with people with mental health disorders, including depression and various anxiety disorders, which I find very interesting. So, To be fair, it's probably a deal you do get to find it interesting. Although it is very weird that uh, my industry is mental health. At least it means you care about it, you know. I suppose. <laughs> um, right, so I am drinking the same box wine as last time. <laughs> so um, what about you? What's your poison? Uh, my poison of choice is Fanta, mixed with whatever spirits you had lying around. I'm not actually sure what <laughs> um, I'm drinking. I think I, I gave you tonight, so I can't be too drunk. Yeah, I gave you um Chambord, I believe. I don't know. I... It, it tastes nice. Yeah, it's really good. It's like a black forest spirit. I'm I'm happy with Fanta and whatever the bloody hell that is. Right, so I hope you like history because um today we get to learn about a warrior queen. I know uh, who you're it... gonna say. I know and you love I'm her. I'm so stoked. She is and... one of history's badass ladies, so I'm very excited. Yep. And uh, for those who aren't, who aren't going to guess it, this is Boudicca from um, the UK, and uh, who is actually who is known as one of the UK's first heroines. Heroines? Hero heroines? She's one of history's badass ladies. Yes, one That's of history's just... badass ladies. That works. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, she's generally known as someone who, like, everyone loves underdog. This is like one of the big revenge stories of England, I think. Probably the biggest. Yeah. It de yeah. At least it led to one of the biggest battles that England's seen. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that should be fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, what, what... Um, I'm going to be talking about uh, a lesser-known mental health condition called Cotard's Delusion. Excellent. I have not really, I don't really know anything about this apart it from what is, you told me. It is the belief that uh, you are dead, dying, or do not exist. Okay, good choice. So, Strong choice. <laughs> yeah. Like, I am behind this. Awesome. Well, it's your podcast, so. I mean, to be fair, it's probably good, a good thing then, right? Yeah. <laughs> I always like, I guess it's my podcast. I'm just, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just going to. Do any of us, like. No. I'm just going to pretend I do. Right, so um, do you want to go first or should I? It's up to you. Uh, I don't know. I can kick us off if you want. Like last time last time I went first, so I might as well mix it up a bit. Ooh, shaking things up a bit. Of course. <laughs> just to start for the people at home, do you know the difference between an illusion, a hallucination and a delusion? Because not everyone does. I do not. Okay. So an illusion is something that is there, but... 
our brains don't perceive it as it is. Okay. Because we don't see with our eyes. We see with our brains. So, That's a fun way to put it. So I can kick this off with like, yeah, so the big thing to bear in mind is that we see with our brains, essentially. So our eyes send a signal and our brain interprets that particular signal. So, you know, if you want to start off with the major mind blow, it's we don't actually know what the world is like because we only interpret it through a series of sensory signals that are then interpreted in a particular way by our brains. So <laughs> that's how I'm kicking off. Excellent. So, so an illusion is something that is there, but our brains, they don't perceive it like it is. So the famous example is the Muller liar illusion. So that's the one where you've got two arrows, which are the same length, but because the arrowheads face different ways, we think that one line is longer than the other. I've not heard that one before. So that's, it's called the Muller liar illusion. So if you want to Google it, then you'll, you'll know what I mean when you see it. But okay, sure. It is there but our brains don't perceive it as it is. Nice. And that's an illusion. And I kid you not, there's an illusion of the year competition every year because psychologists have no life. To be fair, I think with that description, psychologists have all the life. <laughs> I would love to do that. Like, that's so cool. If you want to enter illusion of the year, be my guest. I, I'm, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to have other people do it for me. Illusion of the year 2020, Akshay Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I honestly think I'm more likely to run for Prime Minister. <laughs> Prime Minister, Akshay Taylor, 2020. You heard it here. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. So the next one is a hallucination. I don't know if it's an hallucination or a hallucination. I'm never sure. Hallucinations. Mm. We'll go with the plural. It's when you perceive something in the absence of anything being there. And this ranges okay. from having specks of light in your vision because you've got a migraine or a seizure coming on versus seeing full-blown people to hearing voices to um, even feeling like there's someone in the room when there isn't. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you read a lot about stuff like that, actually, when you're when you're researching, like, all stuff I have for this. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, especially with murderers and things like that, you hear in the old-timey sense. Like, yeah. Because uh, that comes up a lot, and... Um, because back then you didn't really get much of the uh, mental health stuff you get nowadays, and yeah. so you, so you do get a lot of records about records about it. It's never anything good. Yeah, no. So I mean, like I say, hallucinations they kind of range on a spectrum. So I have hallucinations when I know I'm going to have a migraine. So okay. I'll see spots of light in my vision, okay. and that's a very simple hallucination. Yeah. And some people, when they fever, they'll see more complex hallucinations. Oh yes, yeah, fever dreams. Yeah. So that's a more complex hallucination. Yeah. And like I say, it can range from hearing voices to literally seeing things to, well, it's difficult to tell whether we hallucinate smells. Because how many I mean, times... Tifa, how can you measure that? Exactly. Like, I, I'm certain we do. Yeah, like, I mean, we must do. Like, the amount of times I've had people like, be like, can you smell that? Yeah, so that's a hallucination. A delusion is the belief in something despite evidence to the contrary and cultural norms. So, like, belief in Santa is culturally acceptable yeah. for children okay. in the West. Yes. But an adult, maybe, who still persists with this belief that there is 
a man who comes down your chimney once a year and leaves presents and goes around every house in the world, despite the fact that they are shown no one is coming down the chimney, despite the fact they are shown these presents came from me or you, or if that belief persisted, suddenly when they're in their 30s, it's not culturally acceptable anymore. Okay, yeah. So that person would have a delusion. Okay, I think you get a lot of that with cults and things, actually. Like, yeah, cults are interesting. But, um, I'm sure we'll go into some Oh yeah, that's, that's like, another podcast. Don't, another don't worry, we, we will definitely bring cult stuff at some point. Oh yeah. I, I've got plenty of those lined up that I, I know I believe about. you. <laughs> so, but I think the important thing to remember is that not everybody who has hallucinations will have delusions. Of course, yeah. So like, if I know I'm going to have a migraine, I don't start thinking, great, there are loads of lights in the world. Yeah. So I don't believe the hallucinations. I recognise that it's not real. A lot of people have hallucinations will recognise that it's not real. Of course. But sometimes they do come hand in hand. So is that like so, when you... Um, I'm not sure if everyone gets this, but it's like when you just kind of look... There's like a little spot in the side of your eye when you, and it moves when you move? That's... Like, I don't know if that's... Like, I know they're called floaters, but it's like... That's something might be, biological um, with the eye okay. as opposed to something that your brain has yeah, produced. Yeah, no, it's more. that's more something to do with um, what your eye perceives than what your brain produces, if that makes sense. It's part of the eye, whereas yeah. a hallucination is something that's produced by your brain. Okay. Hence what I was saying earlier about how we see with our brains. One thing I will say for people listening is if you do think that you are suffering from complex hallucinations or delusions and if it is distressing you to any extent please 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 go and see your gp and Every get time. it checked out by a medical professional so i mean I know people are going to probably leave questions and comments and stuff. I'm not going to be going through everything. If you're concerned no, that you That's have my job. a mental health disorder, please, please, please go and speak to your GP because there are there is help out there and there are many different options. So go to your GP, find out what your options are, and you can get it sorted. So what she said. I'd leave that in there. No, that would definitely still be in there. Awesome. Like uh, I am very much for people getting help for what they need to. Like it's so hard to sometimes. So it's yeah. So I am always. Support for people getting, getting help. Yay. Right. Which means more jobs for me. No. <laughs> this is also true. Yay. So I mean, that's what I was saying about it being a bit weird. It's okay, fine. So, like, Cotard's delusion. It, it's okay if I'm the one. It's, it's okay if I'm the one saying it, right? Like. <laughs> so, Cotard's delusion. Um, It's really rare. It's, okay. People say it's about one in a billion. I mean, it does. It is a weird quirk of human neurology that it's come up so often that there is its own diagnostic label, that enough people have the belief that they are dead or dying or don't exist, that it has its own label, which I just find absolutely fascinating because ultimately we've all got the same basic brain makeup, same basic brain chemistry. And in enough people, it has malfunctioned in such a way that there is the same delusional belief. So, okay, so Cotard's delusion, as I've said, it's um, this rare disorder where people believe that they are dead, that they are dying or that they don't exist. This is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so I was reading up a couple of cases because um, I thought it'd be more fun rather than just listing a list of symptoms to talk yeah, about of course. cases that well, have actually happened. Case studies are always, always a good one. So the cases that I've come across is where people already have some sort of neurological issue or um, okay. so it might be like a pre-existing a condition or a brain trauma like um, a traffic accident or something like that yeah so there was one case that uh, I read about that the person had something called Marfan syndrome which okay. I don't know much about but apparently it's a connective tissue disorder but he had a brain hemorrhage in his left parietal lobe and the parietal lobe is the lobe that's sort of on top of the brain and it's where the mental map of the body is he later was suffering from hallucinations that he was he had rats going up and down his arm. Well, that's horrifying. 
Yeah, and the paper that I was reading, it wasn't specific as to whether he was seeing the rats like, going up and down his arm, but he felt like there were rats running up and down his like, arm. Like, I'm okay with rats. I think they're quite cute, but... Um, oh, I love rats. I wouldn't want to feel them running up and down my arms. Yeah, if no, they, it sounds terrifying. If they weren't there. Yeah. Like, I'm okay with... If they're, if they're actually there, fair enough, but I would not want to imagine it. Yeah, no, it sounds terrifying, but he had this hallucination. Again, I'm not sure if he was seeing rats or if he could just feel them going up and down his arm, but then... Even later on after that, he had this sensation, this hallucinatory sensation that his body was putrefying. Wait, what? He had this feeling that his flesh was falling off. That, like, how do you, like, just start for a second, like, step back. Okay. Now, look at your arm. And I am looking at my arm. Close your eyes and try and picture any, like, you, you can feel the muscles in there, like, yeah. kind of. Now... Picture any of that just falling off uh, as much as you can. Just a, a, a tiny, like a bit of the muscle even. Just a tiny bit. How would you picture your entire body putrefying? I don't know. I mean, it must like, have been terrifying. Because it's, it's hard enough to do it just one part of your body. Yeah. Like, and that's when you're trying actively. Yeah. Could you imagine like having to go through that? Well, like, apparently he could even, he even reported being able to smell putrefying flesh. Oh man, that's not great. That no. is not great at all. But the weird thing is, it cleared up by itself after a few days. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, good for him, I guess. But, I know. Like, it'd be nice to know why, but, yeah. like, good for him. Like, that must be really interesting to study. Yeah. Because there, there must be people that specialise in that one in particular, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... Because, like, if, it had, especially if it's common enough to have a name... Yeah. There are people that specialise in it. Yeah. I mean, there's a bloke called Mayer who, um, he was, like, quite big in the field of delusions in, like, the 1980s or something Ooh, like Mayer. that. Um, and um, he... I recognise the name, actually. So. Yeah, he comes up in a lot of the research. Yeah. And he says that delusions are our attempt to make sense of strange experiences. Mm. So when we start believing that we're being followed, it's because we keep having... So, um, so for example, we if we're having a lot of sense presence hallucinations, then we believe that we're being followed because that's how we make sense of that hallucinatory experience. Okay. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the suggestion there is that he had these strange sensations that were produced by this, um, this problem that happened in his parietal lobe which caused him to have these strange sensations, and he had this um, tissue disorder. So the sense that he made of that experience is, if I can smell putrefying flesh, and if I feel that my flesh is falling off, I must be dead. To be fair, you, like, you don't like to imagine yourself rotting for no reason. No. Like, you, you try and put some logic behind it. It's like, what's going that, on? I'm rotting for no honestly, reason. Honestly, I think that logic for me would be like, I am dying. I just need an adult. Like, somebody please help. And apparently, Kotar's delusion can come... Hand in hand sometimes with depersonalization and derealization. This makes a lot of sense. So depersonalization is when you feel disconnected from the self. It's different to an out-of-body experience, but I, it's the feeling of yeah. disconnection. I feel like a lot of people with depression and things will have that, because yeah, I certainly not, do. It's not uncommon. And derealization is the sense of being disconnected from the world. Yeah, I, and yeah, again, I, I are... definitely get that kind of stuff. So it's like, it's quite interesting that how, how that happens. Like, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah, and, like... and sometimes the conclusion that people jump to is, I feel so disconnected from myself and from the world, I must be dead, I must be a ghost. This... Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, it's kind of sad, but it's like, yeah. it's also kind of logical at the same time, because 
like at least part of it is neurological and um, yeah. so you, to them it's it's real like yeah the brain absolutely. is really the brain is really powerful that it can teach you anything absolutely like, and I think as human beings, what we want is just to make sense of our experience, no matter what's going on in your mental state. And mm. if you're going through something as terrifying as feeling that your flesh is falling off, you're going to want to make sense of it. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something. Yeah. I'm not sure um, what it is, <laughs> but it's something. Like, yeah. But I mean, it makes you I do could, weird things yeah, as well. I could not imagine. Like, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, this is a very that, extreme reaction. Like, that's... Um, there tends to be very much a neurological component. Like I say, you tend to get it when people have had um, accidents or strokes yeah. or um, things like that. It makes sense to do it, like the way you talk, your way your way you're explaining it. You can see why someone would think that. Yeah. Like if you're experiencing like the feeling of your flesh falling off, like if not dead, I'd think I'm dying. Yeah. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah. <laughs> like... Well, you would, wouldn't you? But um, it makes people do really weird things because I read this. Um, this was in a very highbrow paper, The Mirror. Um... Of course, like my, my favorite, my favorite scientific paper. I know. Like, I'm glad, glad it's your favorite as well. It's not just me that looks to the mirror for uh, deep scientific insights. But uh, I read for those listening, this... but please don't take that for <laughs> like, yeah, no, literally... Especially non-UK listeners, please do not cite the Daily Mirror. Follow up on it afterwards. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Do a bit of extra reading. But no, they uh, they did an interview with this chap who, he was uh, ex-military, and he had a motorbike accident in 2005, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, where he had he suffered a brain injury. And he believed that he died in the crash. Huh. And he was, what he described was being in a state of denial about oh. the brain injury because he's living with what we call normal, in inverted commas, brain yeah. injury symptoms. But he couldn't process The thing that. is, in that context, it makes a lot of sense. Like, especially with, like, widespread belief in ghosts and ex- yeah. etc. It's very easy to justify that, yeah. actually, when you think about it. But he stopped eating because he okay. believed, well, I'm dead, so I don't need to eat. Honestly, if I, think, if I thought I was dead... And I could eat. Yeah. I'd still do it because I, I love pizza too much. But he stopped eating because he didn't believe that he needed to because uh, he he believed that he died. So you don't need to eat when you're dead. Mm-mm. His Kotar's delusion cleared up when he met another soldier with the same condition. And bear in Did mind that? how rare this is. Yeah, and they lived really close to one another. Yeah. But they both got the same delusion. And then when they met one another, it was, oh, maybe this isn't normal. Yeah. Because the interesting thing about delusions is if people are presented with enough evidence that makes them think there might be alternative explanations, they're less likely to believe the delusion. And so once he was faced with someone else who had the same delusion, he had to think, well, maybe that's not what happened. Yeah. And maybe I am alive after all. Even with less common things, a lot of people will get angry if they're presented with enough evidence. And honestly, that's, I think that's a big sign of, um, like, I, I always like this, I'm not sure if it's a quote or something I just thought of, like, when I was dreaming or whatever, because, mm-hmm. like, I can't remember where I got it from, but um, it's like, there is a big difference between teaching someone and preaching at them. Yeah. And when someone's preached that, they will hold on to that belief with everything, with every fibre of their body. Yeah. Like, they would, and their brain can't quite process and honestly, grabbing someone and shaking them yeah. and going, "Why do you believe that you are dead? You're clearly not dead." Versus that person going, "Oh well, actually, if I'm breathing, how can I be dead?"
Like, don't you love having cuts? It's great. Like, there is no pressure here. If I'm only just... we could do this in real life I conversations. Know, right? People are going to be like, how can you do this when you, when you can't even present in public? And it's like, I can cut anything that goes wrong. <laughs> there you go. It's great. Like, I can pretend I know what I'm talking about, when honestly I have no idea what I'm talking about. And half the stuff I talk about will be just the first few pages of Google. Nice. Sometimes well, it is from I books. I like that it's all written down. So. Yeah, it's like yeah. sometimes it is from books. It's so easy. Like, I can just find things and be like, yeah, I, I know what I'm talking about. Honestly, please listen to me. If it was. Please listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I was saying, uh, alternative explanations for delusions is more likely to break the delusions. So, yeah, that was what stopped him from believing that he was dead. But it's, it is interesting that enough people jump to that conclusion that our brains are wired in such a way that enough people jump to this conclusion yeah. that it warrants its own like, diagnostic category. The brain is massively powerful when it comes to convincing you of things. Oh, like, absolutely. There is so much it can, t- it can try to convince you of. Oh, yeah. It's kind of sad at points, but for some people, it probably works the opposite way. Where it, yeah. Like, maybe that's where narcissistic disorders come in. Yeah, well, personality disorders are another kettle it, of fish entirely. There are so many but... different ones. Yeah. And um Yeah, I think PD is gonna have to be a subject of another podcast because it's of absolutely massive and Yeah, you're always welcome to come back on and talk about that if you want to. <laughs> like I am enjoying having you on. So you're always welcome back. Thank you. But no, while we're talking about other disorders actually, it's it's interesting that Cotard's delusion might have some implications for body dysmorphic disorder, which is what we often associate with eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia. Okay. Because the focus of Cotard's delusion is about sensations produced by your own body. Okay. And it's about how you perceive your body. You know, I'm perceiving my body as, you know, some people perceive their organs falling out or their body filling up with gas or um, things like that. And that can be part of Cotard's delusion. Yeah. So people have kind of likened it to people who are stick thin, but believe that they are really fat. Yeah. So there are some implications for um, Cotard's delusion and how it might inform our knowledge of body dysmorphic disorder and vice versa. So it's it's interesting how a lot of these things feed into one another because ultimately we've all got the same basic brain chemistry. Well, especially for this podcast, mm. I read about all sorts of murderers, serial killers, uh, arsonists, mm. etc. And um, when you think about it, a lot of the time, their brain, like people go into their brain chemistry and stuff like that and just like yeah. they, have, they have this disorder or whatever, but normal perfectly okay people also have these things yeah not everyone can go in like go into it and that details not everyone gets the help for what they need yeah no absolutely and um it's quite sad and i will and i know i've said it before but always get help if you can and uh oh, absolutely but, um, and i think another important thing to remember is that the stigma around mental health disorder is changing we yeah. are making slow but sure steps into ensuring and it is hard to get it health. but yeah it is hard to get it but uh as someone that has done it, it's so worth it. So, so worth it. Like, please please do. Like, one of the hardest and best things I've ever done, I think. So, you know, so, so many people do say that, that, you know, when they come to therapy, they poo-pooed it or, you know, they weren't sure what help they could get, but actually having gone through it, it's, yeah. it can be helpful. Therapy, you know, like, it's, not, it's not always an easy process and you do have to be willing to make change. Yeah, therapy in particular is one of those ones you get, like, you get that a lot where it's like, people are like, it's not, I don't think it'll be for me. I'm not going to go. Yeah. Which I th- and honestly, I did that for about three years, maybe. And I just started like maybe a few weeks ago. And it's not bad. Not well, bad. 
it's different for everyone. You know, some people would prefer to just be on medication. Some yeah. people would prefer just to have therapy. You also have to think that um, it also depends on the counsel you get. Like, the, the, yeah, the therapy I feel like a lot relationship of people, plays a huge, huge role. I feel like in a lot therapy. of yeah, a lot of people will stop if they don't get the right therapist first time. Yeah. Don't do that. Ask for a second opinion. Yeah, no, right. and there are, there are so many different approaches out there as well. Like I do CBT. It's the one favoured by the NHS because it's short-term and it does produce results quickly. Yeah. But it's not for everyone, and part of my job is recognising when it's not for everyone. You know, sometimes counselling is more appropriate. Of sometimes a psychodynamic approach where the focus is about um, interpersonal relationships and early experience is more appropriate. It really does vary, but I promise you... The right approach for you is out there. If it's something that you're considering, please, please, please go and seek help because it is out there. Yeah, like I, I've known people that have gone to maybe five different people yeah. already, and they eventually, like a lot of the time, they do find something. Like, yeah, even if it takes a few tries. Like a lot of people do think that it's that that's not enough. Like they're not good enough if they yeah. do that, but you are. You're worth it. And so. you know, sometimes it might be the people seek help and they're not in the right place for therapy at that time because the thing about therapy is that you do have to make change of course and sometimes the prospects of you want something to change but the prospects of making change is absolutely terrifying in which case i'd say maybe now's not the right time but definitely definitely come back in yeah, the future. Like, honestly like even when i am starting doing it i don't even know if it's, if it's the right time but it's been nice trying you know yeah like at the very least it means you've done something about it yeah at least. Like, absolutely you're being pro- you're being proactive at least. Yeah. It's it's worth at least you've tried something. Yeah. And as someone who's been on both sides of the therapeutic relationship, you know, sometimes it really is about finding the right person, finding the right approach. Mm-hmm. And even if it doesn't work straight away, you know, if you if someone saw me for CBT, for example, and they didn't think, you know, it worked quite well, then don't necessarily just give up if you are seeing someone and you don't think therapy is working please please talk to them and discuss your options because there are other things out there and chances are you know your mental health professional just wants to help you chances are they will be able to put you onto the right people for you if there's anything you come away from this episode for that's one of the things that you should like because in the end even if you're not suffering from it someone you know might and uh, at least you can give them some advice on where to get help yeah. and your gp is a very good start it's always your first port of call, your GP. So, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so do you, is there anything else you want to go about? Or, um... Um, that was pretty much... I was going to talk a little bit about jump to conclusion bias yeah, go and for the it. formation of delusions. Yeah, go for it. Like... So we were, we were talking a little bit earlier about how people experience these things in their body and then the conclusion that they arrive at is that um, it must be because they are dead. Yeah. And there's a theory that people who develop delusions have a stronger what's called jump to conclusion bias mm-hmm. than people who don't necessarily go on to develop delusions. I mean, it's a spectrum. So, you know, on one end, you've got people like my lecturer who taught me this, who only believed in hard evidence. Um, Too fair. He like when you shot down any kind of belief I, that wasn't based. I in absolutely hate that kind of person science. because when you think about it, think about pretty much any part of your life and... Is there really a definite yes or no, like, for anything, really? Um, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, he was an interesting bloke, and he was clearly very clever, but he was a knob. Like, Let's honest- make no bones about yeah. this. Like, honestly, if you're, like, you're the most devout religious person ever, you will have questions that you're not sure about. Yeah. And part of that is the faith. Yeah. Part of it, and, like, some people say that is as a reason to be an atheist afterwards. Yeah, or, and- or an agnostic, but some people just decide that's 
the faith things. Like, no matter what you pick, there is, like, I mean, there is an argument for, for yeah. it. Like, as long as, it, honestly, for me, like, as long as you're not really hurting other people's experiences, it's okay to believe what you want to, like, yeah, you're not, because mean... you're not always hurting other people, at least. Yeah. As long as you're not pushing, that's where pushing things onto, ideas onto other people, like, can hurt a lot. Yeah, so, like, I mean, this. Like I say, it ranges from this lecture that I had versus, you know, some... It kind of exists on a spectrum. So if on one end you've got people who... You've got, like, um, if you'll forgive the reference, the Sheldon Coopers of the world who only <laughs> only go for things that have hard empirical evidence to support them. Then, well, according to this theory, then you've got creativity. Mm-hmm. Then you've got conspiracy theory slash religion. Yep. Then you've got your more delusional beliefs. Then you've got your delusions. Okay. So it is a continuum. Everyone exists on it. And, you know, we... And another thing to remember as well, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be jumping to conclusions. You know, it's something that we all do. When I'm working with people with um, depression or well, when I'm working with people with anxiety and the conclusion that people jump to is, if I go into this situation, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to be in danger. Something's going to go horrendously wrong. That's a jump to conclusion bias. We all do it. And sometimes all it takes is a bad day for us to be going, you know, this is going to go horrendously wrong. It's, you know, it's a like, normal thing to jump to conclusions. Like, honestly, what, what got me to sign up, for, sign up for, like, therapy the first time was literally a particularly bad day. And next, mm. the next, like, next day I was like, why did I do that? I'd already signed up, so I committed. So, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, it was worth it. That one, like, that one bad day was actually... It actually ended up helping a lot, you know? Yeah. Like, sometimes the bad days aren't always the worst days when you when you think about it later on. Yeah. And, you know, like, sometimes it does take, take hindsight. But, but yeah, the point I'm trying to make is that it is a normal thing to jump to conclusions. Of course. But the theory is that people who suffer from delusions have this bias that's stronger than people who don't mm-hmm. suffer, in inverted commas, from delusions. So there was this experiment done where um, they had coloured beads in a bag and... Oh. There were more of one colour than another colour. And you pulled out a certain number of beads. And then you had to make a judgment as to what colour bead was likely to be the next one you pulled out. Okay. And people whose jump to conclusion bias was stronger pulled out fewer beads before they felt certain they knew what bead they were going to pull out next. Whereas people whose jump to conclusion bias um, wasn't as strong pulled out more beads so that they could kind of understand that's really interesting. the ratios yeah. before they... Like, uh, I guess some people just need to recognise a pattern before they can actually make any like make a conclusion, but um, a lot, some people don't really need that pattern. It really depends on person to person. Like, oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely it varies according to the individual. The, but, the brain is almost terrifying in how varied it is. Oh, yeah, the brain is an amazing... I mean, this is coming from a psychologist, so, you know, yeah. I love the human brain. The brain is an incredible, incredible organ, and, you know... This is coming from my brain, but we don't give it enough credit. Yeah, it's like, no. especially as someone that like loves horror. Yeah. Like, and um, also, I, I do like all sorts of Call of Cthulhu RPGs and stuff. Yeah. Which I'm not I'm sure many people won't really know what's going on <laughs> when, I say, when I say that. But um, no, Call of Cthulhu is one of the best RPGs in terms of its mental health. It makes it makes you think about like why someone would have this and how they would go about it. One of the things is like it's not always accurate. It's not always going to be great, but it makes you try and learn more about it at least. Yeah. And the main thing is like you're not always gonna be right. No. You're not and that's a big thing to remember. You're not always right. Like I don't care who you are. You could like you could be the most intelligent person I I've ever met or anyone in the world has ever met. 
you'll be wrong about something. <laughs> and that's a big thing to remember. Like, yeah. And I think that makes you think it puts a lot of things into perspective. And yeah. um, it makes you think, like, appreciate other people's views more. Because, like, someone might say something you're not, you're not familiar with. You can read about it and figure out if you're wrong. Yeah. And you're allowed to be wrong. That's oh, the thing. absolutely. Like, I think that's one of the... The biggest flaws of, like, education nowadays. They don't teach you that you're allowed to be wrong. No. I've been wrong all the time. I was anxious as shit when, I, like, but all the time I, I, I thought I was wrong and I, but I, but I was meant to say something. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm terrified about this podcast going out in case someone turns around and says to me, yeah. actually, everything that you said was wrong. You got your years wrong. You got your studies wrong. The thing is, you're allowed yeah. to be wrong. You yeah. can. And the thing is, I encourage people to always comment on these and whatever yeah. tell us when we're wrong we will learn more about it like we'll learn through you <laughs> like the only problem is as a woman in the stem field if i'm wrong then i have the shit ripped out of me and my gender of course uh, um that's because people are assholes oh, and yeah. yeah no one thing that uh, i've absolutely concluded to working in mental health is why can't people just be nice to one another <laughs> so it's... few people would have so many problems as long as we were just nice to one another of course but yeah, anyway, um, I see what I can track. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, right, so um, do, was there anything else you want to talk about today? Or, um, to be fair, that... I pretty much covered everything that I wanted to Excellent. talk about and more. Okay, so um, we'll take a quick break and uh, we'll be back to it. So um, let's try. Should we get going then? Back into uh, let's get back into it. Yeah, I want to hear about badass ladies. All right. <laughs> okay. So Boudica is uh, the next one for, for me. Yes. And everyone loves, like I said earlier, everyone loves a good revenge story. Oh yes. And uh, Boudica, I think, is one of the best. And uh, she's also often portrayed as a uh, British hero, but uh, she's also absolutely terrifying. Oh yeah. Like. So scary. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. As all of the best badass ladies are. This is also true. But yeah, um, for those who don't know, she was a the queen of uh, the British Celtic Iceni tribe who uh, led an uprising against Nero's occupying forces in Britain from the Roman Empire. Around uh, 60 or 61 AD. That sounds about right. I don't know yeah. off the top of my head. This is also fine. I'm, I am, like I said earlier, I have no idea what I'm talking about half the time. Fair enough. Like... <laughs> We just have to pretend we know what we're on about. It, it's what it's how I get by. All right, so I'll get a bit of background up first. But yeah, she was of uh, royal descent and um, described by Cassius D- like a couple times in this. I'll, I'll mention the Cassius Dio and mm. um, Antarcticus a lot because um, that's where most the um, that's where most the like accounts come from. Okay. For this, if uh, the Romans were good at anything, it was writing stuff down. Yep. If someone they weren't good at, it, it's writing things accurately. <laughs> you make a very very so, good um, argument. I will, I will say for now, take the numbers with a <laughs> grain of salt. As always. Just in case. <laughs> there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Boudicca was of royal descent and described by Dio as uh, having possessed of greater intelligence than often belongs to women. It's uh, Like I said, back then, people weren't great. Ooh, I don't like this bloke. No, the Romans weren't great for the most part, honestly. But um, it's fine, we get Boudicca for this. 
Yes, he also describes her as tall with tawny hair hanging down to her, below her waist, a harsh voice, and a piercing glare. Which, how many historical figures get a description of their physique? Mostly the women. Exactly. Mostly the women. That that I, I I'm not going to cut things out like this just because I feel like we should realise how shitty we have been. Yeah. And Still it's a are. shitty thing. Yeah. And uh, we should acknowledge this. Like, when we, when we think about history, because we've gone a long way. Like, we are still shit for now, but we've gone a long way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, the risk is going too far the other way with revisionism, but, mm-hmm. you know. I was there, just about to say, basically I'm saying, what is definitive truth of history basically I'm until saying, the doctor turns up and tells us what's what, we don't know. I'm, being, I'm basically saying, scepticism is healthy. Yes. Always double check things yes. first. Always question your sources. Like critical thinking. And a lot of this is from literally two sources. Yeah. Probably one reading from another a lot. Yeah. Maybe both ways. Who knows? But um, it's worth noting, a lot of this is from just two people. Yeah. So um, Boudicca had very long hair. I know, right? But first, we'll go into it. Her husband, which I know, I know from what I just said, it's a really shitty way to put it. But um, we're gonna move on from the badass ladies. But this is a great. But this, this this is a great way of setting the scene because okay. uh, basically, um, he um, was the king of the Iceni, uh, so we kind of had to bring him up, honestly. Okay, fair like, enough. And um, who were people who inhabited uh, what's now around Norfolk area, mm-hmm. Norfolk area, they. Had originally and voluntarily allied with Rome uh, following Claudius's conquest of Southern Britain in 43 AD. They were pretty proud of their independence, and this is shown later on in uh, 47 AD when when the Roman gov- governor pub. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher so many names in this. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I know, but just just so just for the listeners, because <laughs> I don't trust myself not to get butchered myself after after <laughs> after my pronunciations. <laughs> so, um, to be fair, they're all dead, so they can't complain. Okay, Arthur, yes. Boudica, Bodicea. <laughs> yeah, there's you know. there's many of them. I've basically just cut it to Boudica just because there's we don't have time to go into all of everything. <laughs> so um, yes, they were pretty proud of their independence and revolted in in 47 AD when a Roman governor Publius Ostorius Scapula planned to disarm all the peoples in the area of Britain under Roman control following a number of local uprisings. Osiris defeated these people, including the um, Iceni, and went on to put down lots of other uprisings around Britain. But the Iceni remained independent, and the relationship with Rome um, generally ended after the after the end of um, Boudicca's rebellion, because yeah. for obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean they didn't like like each other very much before that, hence the rebellion. Yeah, but um. Yes. I mean, to be fair, what's not to love? Invasion of the hot Italians. This is also true. <laughs> uh, Prostagus was not really talked about until uh, the start of Boudicca's uh, rebellion. Yeah. So this also is a testament to how important she was. Go on. I know. Because <laughs> uh, he, especially as this was a king celebrated for his long periods of prosperity and uh, etc. Et like, people liked him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, basically, because... When you when you're working for an empire and you don't really understand how empires work, um, you try to make sure that when you die, it doesn't go to shit. Unfortunately for him, it I went. I, I don't have much experience of running yeah. an empire personally. Well, unfortunately so... for him, it went to shit. Yeah. Um, because because what he thought would mitigate any uh, issues after his death, uh, what he did was, in his will, he um basically named the Roman emperor 
along with his two daughters as uh, his successors to his uh, wealth, whatever. The Roman in front of time was Nero, and yeah. he was not known for being a reasonable man. <laughs> like, if anything, he was just a dictator, and they were always short of cash, etc. But he, he thought by making him one of his inheritors, his, uh, basically, he wouldn't get pillaged. Okay. This didn't work. He got pillaged a lot. How did I know you were about to say that? Yeah. Apart from, you know, nosing at your notes. Yeah, basically, for one, Nero's Rome was always short of cash. And with Prostagus gone, the Ro- the local Romans and soldiers basically were like, we'll collect our Jew. So this was Romans living in Britain. Yeah. But, yeah. but to them, their Jew was, it wasn't just what they, what they were, it was Britain. They Romans had a very big superiority complex. If we've learned anything, you don't say. <laughs> they they like themselves a lot, <laughs> but um, when Boudicca attempted to resist them, uh, like strip naked flogged, and her daughters were raped. Yeah. Uh, this was unfortunately common across most of Britain. Uh, to be fair, it's common yeah. across empire. Yeah, this just generally common. Okay, so yeah, basically Tacticus is the one who basically mentioned her, uh, well, her flogging and mm. um, her daughters raped. Dio did not mention this at all, which yeah. is which is kind of weird since you'd expect Dio to have read Dax's works. There's a lot of ta- lot of the uh, things from Britain where a direct Tatkus basically being an eyewitness yeah. to a lot of this, and um, or at least getting eyewitness accounts. Tatkus basically said after being brutally assaulted, robbed, and widowed, Boudica had picked herself up the ground, tended her wounds, and then raised an army of. Insulted, angry Celts. As you do, First quite thing, frankly. Of course. Which, honestly, fair's fair. To be fair, that just sounds like the tactic still employed by middle-aged mums today. Yeah. Like, you know, I didn't have my receipt, but I still wanted to return this thing. <laughs> I'm going to get my army of middle-aged mums who've all had a glass of wine and are going to come down on you like a ton of bricks asking for the manager. Yeah, pretty much. Basically, they were tired of sending... They used to work in retail. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, on top of this, they, they were pretty tired of uh, sending their young men into combat on behalf of Rome and seeing their grain, livestock, and metals just kind of go. Uh, Again, understandably so. Yeah. Um, Dio basically wrote, um, like, even though he didn't, he didn't actually even mention Boudicca's, all the shit happened to her. He didn't, he didn't mention that. Yeah. Uh, but he did write that um, an excuse for the war was found in the confiscation of the sums of money that Claudius had given to the foremost Britons, which they didn't really want. Like they they just kind of uh, lent it to them anyway, which mm-hmm. was a uh, forty million sesterces. Uh, sesterces. I don't know how to pronounce that. But... I don't know. Yeah, sesterces. I'm going to say for now, and uh, people can yell at me later. It's fine. Okay. That'll be fun. Okay. So um, afterwards, they basically called in this loan all at once, and like I said before, basically resorted to severe measures in extracting it. Because basically, as far as they're concerned, they now they now. Deserved all of Britain for what they for what they did for. Why it. am I reminded of student finance? It's pretty similar. Yeah. But yeah, kind of messed up that that's all that was that all that Theo mentioned, and it kind of is a testament to how a lot of Roman literature is. They yeah. kind of they kind of, they like skip out bits and pieces based on what they think is right. And yeah. Never mind the personal plight of this individual who's been through a horrendously harrowing experience. Yep. However, later on, you had a good old uprising. Yay! Like. Before this uprising, a big thing I wanted to put, bring up, because I found this on um, a YouTube channel, which is called, uh, Histor- I think it's Historia Civilis, mm. 
Yeah, which I will put a link to in the description, yes, uh, who is amazing for Roman history and stuff, and I would recommend it so much. It's a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> um, and he does put... Basically, he also, um, for battles and stuff, he also tends to bring up maps so you can see how things move and mm. stuff like that. And it's very, it's I very fun. I think I've seen them. They are pretty good. Basically, when um, Paulinus was leading a campaign against the island of Mona, which is, in modern day, it's now Anglesey, which is in the north of Wales. See, it just makes me think Ila de Mersa. Yeah. Well, during I'm going to go into a bit of detail about this before we go into the Budicus Rebellion, because it's a really fun story. Okay. Because basically, when they got there... I'm here for story time. Okay, yes. Basically, um, Tacticus's account of this is basically... I'm going to quote this. Uh, Britain was in the hands of Suetonius Paulinius, who, in military knowledge and in popular favour, which allows no one to be without a rival, vied with Corbulo and aspired to equal the glory of the recovery of Armenia by the subjugation of Rome's enemies. He therefore prepared to attack the island of Mona, which had a powerful population and was a refu- refuge for fugitives and general other, other rebels. Mm. Um he built loads of flat bottom vessels to cope with the shallows and uncertain depths of the sea, and the infantry crossed with while the cavalry followed by fording or where the water was deep, swam by the size of the horses. Um but when, I'm really sorry for all those horses. Of course, water. same. But yeah, basically the bit that interested me was um, when they got to the shore. So when they got to the shore they were met by a dense array of armed warriors, and in between the ranks were women who were dressed in black attire. And I quote, like the Furies, with hair dishevelled and waving brands. Um, there were a lot of Druids in this area. Mm. Um, and all around the Druids who were lifting their hands up to the heavens and pouring forth dreadful imprecations, they scared the soldiers uh, by the, so badly that, that their limbs were like, they were paralysed. So like terror. Yeah. They, they just couldn't move. They were just motionless. And uh, urged by their general's appeals and it, it, it oh, took general's appeals and stuff. Let's be fair. If you were faced with a line of angry middle-aged women who'd been forced to put down their glasses of Prosecco, how would you respond? Oh, man, I bet they wish they had Prosecco at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm being so, like, stereotypical and judgmental at the moment, but... Too far. Too far. tail will do this. I wish I had Prosecco right now, so it's okay. But I've got wine, so it's okay. I could just add some Fanta to your red wine. I'll make it bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They have to be urged by their generals to, to uh, not, and I quote, not quail before a troop of frenzied women. Uh, and they bore, they bore the standards onwards and smote down all resistance, wrapped the f- foe in the flames of their own brands. Uh, at this point, Roman superstition was still high. They were, yeah. Roman was interesting because they believed not only their gods were real, but so were the gods of other nations. So they believed that things like this would have consequences. Yeah. And basically, at the end of this, mass- this basically massacre, they, uh, one of the surviving women basically uh, lit the uh, bodies on fire, basically. Then they realised they were, they were basically standing on a giant pyre. Yeah. And uh, this was, and they had basically taken part in a giant human sacrifice. Okay. Unknowingly. They were, and needless to say, they were pretty terrified. They knew, like, they thought this yeah. had consequences. And this is about the well, time... I was say, how would you feel if you were faced with the wrath of angry women? And basically, this is about the time they um, that the rebellion started. Mm. So they did not have the best morale <laughs> at this point. Like they didn't, they wouldn't, they didn't really know about the original rebellion at first. Mm. Like, it would take taking a while to get back to it. Uh, yeah. So now we can get into the actual revolt. Yay! Which I know you've been waiting for. Oh, I am so waiting for this. Yes. Um, 
during this campaign, basically, uh, the Iceni conspired with the neighbors, the uh, Trinovantes, to revolt. Uh, along with others, other tribes and whatever. And Boudicca was chosen as their Yay! leader. Tacticus has basically recorded that she addressed her arm with these words. It is not as a woman descended from noble ancestry, but as one of the people that I'm avenging lost freedom. My scourged body and the outraged chastity of my daughters. And then concluded that this is a woman's resolve. As for men, they may live and be slaves. Dio also says that at the outset, of the Ravine, uh, Boudicca implied, employed a form of divination and released a hair from the folds of her dress and, and interpreted the direction it ran and invoked Andraste, who was a British goddess of victory. I didn't have to put it in, but I just really like folklore. Yeah. So um, that had to be put in there for me. Uh, but yeah, their first target was the former capital of the uh, Trinovantians, which was uh, Camulo Dunham, which is now Colchester. <laughs> yeah, I know, <Sorry>. right? <laughs> uh and at that time, it was a Roman settlement. The veterans that had been settled there uh, had mistreated the locals, and a temple to the former Cl- Emperor Claudius had been erected there at local expense. So people were pretty pissed off. Yeah, like they did not enjoy this much at all. Um, and the they saw they saw reinforcements from the procurator, who was uh, at the time was Catus Decianus, but he only sent maybe two hundred auxiliary troops. So okay, the bad troops, yeah. basically. Um, I think a lot of these were also slaves and stuff. Romans. Yep. And uh, when Boudicca's army arrived at the city, it was poor. they just destroyed it. Um, I love it. The army of angry women. I know, right? They, they besieged the defenders in the temple for two days before it fell. Nice. So it didn't take long. And uh, archaeologists have basically shown that the city was... It wasn't just a massacre. It was methodically demolished. Yeah. After that, the Romans tried to relieve them with uh, the... Ninth Legion, the or Legion Legion Nine Hispana, uh, but they suffered an overwhelming defeat with all the, the infantry wiped out and only the commander and some of his cavalry escaping. Yeah, basically, um, when news reached of the rebellion reached him, that Suetonius basically hurried through hostile territory to Londinium, which I'm sure I I wonder where yeah. that's going to become. I wonder. It sounds but, like an element, Londinium. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, um, so London, which was. Um, uh, at the time, was a pretty new settlement. I think it was only about twenty years old. Uh, fa- it's it's weird to think of a great city like London ever being, well, yeah, great city like London in inverted commas. If you've ever been there, yeah. then. Uh... But yeah, basically, after in the, but in these twenty years, it had become a very big commercial centre. Mm. Uh, so a lot of travellers, traders, and Roman officials there. So he considered giving battle there, but um, he realised that he didn't have numbers, and uh, basically. After the other defeat, he basically decided to sacrifice the city um, just, just to save the province in general. As you do. Uh, because honestly, if they lost here, they would have, they would not have been able to settle in Britain. But so basically, it was a band of rebels who had burned it down and basically literally just slaughtered everyone that was left. But Those yeah. wacky Romans. And uh, following that, they also destroyed uh, Verulanium, which is now St. Albans. But... In these three hmm. settlements, basically, it wasn't just them killing them. They would, like, people were subjected to torture, yeah. crucifixion. Like, some people were literally boiled alive. Um, they didn't make any human candles here, did they? Or was that a bit late? They, they, people were boiled alive. Ah. Um, and one, like, Dio yeah, was... You have got to question a people that invent yeah, like, rem- crucifixion. Like, remember that when, like, despite it being great on the story... 
Boudicca did literally lead to the ma- like massacres. Yeah, oh, including mean, of civilians. They did not care if you were part of the military or what. No. They like there were children, men, women, everything. No, they would I not mean, care. I mean, I suppose it all comes back to who writes the stories. Of course. Yeah. And who writes the stories? The survivors. Like, so they're going to paint these horrendous massacres as great victories. Of course. But you also need to think that um, at the same time, this is from Dio. That's all that. Antarctica's that also tend to make these counts. Yeah. But yeah, dear. Everyone has an agenda. But yeah, so Tarkas basically said they had no interest in, sell- in taking or selling prisoners. They're only in slaughter by gibbet, fire, or cross. Yeah. But um, Dear's account is more detailed, and um, like this, this is really messed up. Just, Why do you look so gleeful when you say this is really messed up? I'm worried about you. I, I was just I was just trying to warn you in advance. Okay. There's no need to look with such glee. <laughs> it's uncomfortable smiling. Everybody at home, the pure joy no. on Akshay Taylor's face <laughs> as he goes into the bit that, and I quote, is really messed up. I think up. it's it's partially because I can, I can watch your face while I'm telling this. Go on. But yes, uh, basically his, de- his account is that the noblest women were impaled on spikes and had their breasts cut off and sewn to their mouths to the accompaniment of sacrifices, banquets, and wanton behaviour, and in sacred places, and particularly in the groves of Andraste. It was less than ideal, to say the least. So uh, remember, this she's all, she's still seen as a British-like hero. So um, It really is. Like, and remember, a lot of the people that weren't evacuated were civilians. Like most, like pretty much all the military presence was gone. This was just, this is more sitting, just a massacre. Like, I've read Game of Thrones, but I'm just sitting here with that mental image. Like, no. Yeah, like this is a massacre. Not no. it, was, it wasn't a battle, but um. No. Yeah. So later on, um. And that was the Brits that did that. Yeah, this was a Boudicca's forces. Yeah. But um, like, these remember these were also from a lot of tribes that were adjacent rather than. Yeah. So I a mean, lot I of these people. We, so there wasn't like a. There wasn't the most organization. Yeah, and at the same time, I suppose both you can't really both sides were as bad as one another. I remember you this, know. and also this was a war for revenge. Yeah, yeah. This was yeah. not a war for gain or anything else. It was for revenge. No, but still, cutting people's boobs off is gross. It kind I mean, of is, you've yeah. Got, like, first of all, there's like, the skin. Then there's like the fat and the tissue, and then there's it's, like. For me, the bit that got me was the sewing bit. Because that was that bit takes that, takes that bit takes dedication. Yeah. yeah, that's hard. How do you... No, actually, I don't want to know how you get all the bits to stay in while you sew it on. I feel like I just ruined one of your heroes. <laughs> like, but yeah. I mean, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, well, while Boudicca's army assault, uh, continued their assault in the St. Albans area. I mean, on, on uh, one hand, I'm still pleased that, you know, it's a woman leading this great rebellion. And, you know, it, that's no mean feat. Yes, uh, too fair. It's no, it's no mean feat to do all of this. Yeah, too fair. She... All, like, she was very, uh, she's quite interested because she insulted the Roman enemies as being soft, spoiled, and wine guzzling weaklings. And wine guzzling weaklings. Of course. That's what something Tyrion Lannister would say. I know. Uh, and declares that a Nero, that, that Nero might as well be a woman for all of his printing and liar playing. Not that she thought of being compared to a woman was an insult, but um, at, at least if you're a Briton. Yeah. Uh, but she's quick to point out, she's quick, pretty quick to point out that. Um, I'm going to quote this. Uh, Those who over whom I rule are Britons, men that know not how to till the soil or ply a trade, but are thoroughly versed in the art of war, 
and all things in common, even children and wives, so that the latter possesses the same valour as men. As the queen, then, of such men and such women, I supplicate and pray for you for victory, preservation of life and liberty against men insolent, unjust, insatiable and impious. Hmm. So, um, and she literally calls Nero Queen Nero in her speech, um, just to shit talk him. I'll be honest, uh, that sounds like a drag name. Pretty much. Queen Nero. <laughs> That's up for grabs if anyone is uh, thinking of a name for a drag act, Queen Nero. <laughs> but yes, um... Like, so she does use it as an insult, even though she's like, but but my but our woman are fucking hard as nails. Yeah. Like we could take you. <laughs> she was not against using women in her force, which probably is also part of the reason her why her arm was so big. Oh yeah. In the first place, which on, like, honestly, anyone that just used men in the armies, they well, have so they had missed double out. Double your army as like, soon as you were. That never made sense to me because literally you have missed out on such a big draw. Yeah. Like. You could easily bring in so many more numbers. Yeah. Because back then, really, the numbers were important. Not not the politics and that. The numbers are important. Oh, yeah. Though, um, in this particular story, it shows the importance of training and stuff like that mm. as well. Uh, because uh, basically after this, the Romans rallied while uh, Boudicca's army con- continued their assault in uh, Verulamium. St. Albans. St. Albans, yes. Uh, Suetonius basically regrouped his forces and... Uh, a mass, like you managed to get a force of about uh, ten thousand or so, including no, including just about ten thousand, including his um, own legion, uh, some detachments from the from the from some detachments from other uh, legions and uh, any available auxiliaries. They tried to also get another legion, which was near the fourth legion, which was nearby, um, which was the of which was Legio Legio II Augusta. Led by Ponius Postumus, uh, who was stationed near Exeter, but he ignored the call uh, because he was like, "I mean, at the point after that kind of ma- after those massacres, you kind of want to ignore that kind of call." Yeah. But uh, <laughs> at the same. Um, so to be fair, do you want to fight this army of people who are cutting women's breasts off? This is true. Yeah, and but, taking the time yeah. to sew them on elsewhere. Yeah. But Suetonius basically took a stand at an, an identical location, but it's generally seen as in the West Midlands somewhere. Woo! Uh, Sorry, I just got I excited. Know. I heard West Midlands. Yes. It's thought to be around the uh, Rome Road, which is now known as Watling Street. In a, I was hoping you were going to say the Chester Road. In like a narrow passage with wood behind him. Um, they were pretty outnumbered, though. Dio basically says that even if they, li- they were lined up one, one man deep, uh, they would not have ex- they would not have extended the length of Boudicca's line. Nice. Because Boudicca at this point, her um, army was said to be a, a, num- a number of twenty of two hundred thirty thousand at this point. Wow. Um, which is crazy. To be fair, when you think about how big the population is now and how sparse the population was two thousand years ago, hmm. there's a part of me that's thinking. Were there even a quarter of a million people uh, in? Br- I know that's you also really yeah naive, you you, but... uh, you no to be fair you also need to remember that. Uh, Ancient sources tend to exaggerate enemy numbers a lot. Yeah, true. Like, uh, going back to earlier, which I forgot to add, add this earlier, like when um, they had basically sacked the other three cities, uh, across these three, it was estimated that about 80,000 Romans had been killed. Okay. And considering a lot of these were, would have been civilians, it's pretty yeah. much like... Yeah. So basically, um, during this last battle, 
Uh, Boudicca had commanded her troops from her chariot with, and her daughters were beside her at the time. Which is quite a nice sentiment. I've just had a really random thought. Go on then. Is this podcast called Blood on the Rocks because you did geology? A little bit, actually. Yes! <laughs> like, I, you're, I'm glad you caught on to that. <laughs> like, it's only just occurred to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... Also, just because I like whiskey as well. Yeah, like, fair, but geology. But yeah, it's mostly because I'm, I'm a geologist, and I was like, I kind of need to work this in somehow. Otherwise, like, Yay, I know literally, the other, otherwise, it might have been a, a shot in the dark. Yeah, no. So, um, blood the, on the rocks. Yeah, I, 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 that's the reason I settled on blood and rocks because I was like, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, Boudicca, chariots, daughters. Go. Yes. Um, Tatticus also recalls her giving a short speech where she, which I kind of went into earlier. Yeah, like that that speech I just said was basically not this basically when she said it, where she was not an aristocrat uh, who was avenging lost wealth, but she was a normal person avenging lost freedom and uh, the abused chastity of her daughters. Uh, she said that their cause was just, and the deities were on their and the deities were on their side. Like the one legion that had, that had dared to face them had been destroyed because uh, happened that one, they hadn't really been proper combat yet. Yeah, because. The other cities were just abandoned, basically. And Suetonius basically um, took a stand saying that... Basically, uh, Suetonius took a stand, and he also gave a speech here. But basically, um, what he said in the end was, you might... Like, when it comes down to it, this basically the thing was, we have to fight because you have to think that he had all these refugees from all these from the cities that yeah. he went through, and they were running out of food. So basically, he told them to go on and... Like, he probably knew that they were going to get caught up with if they lost here. But um, it also got about the way in the battle. Yeah. And uh, basically what he, what he said to his troops were, we can't surrender because it's it's just not an option because it's better to just die in battle than to be impaled. Yeah. Because, like, I want to throw this over to... Because everyone knows the story of, uh, of Vlad the Impaler. Yeah. And from that, from things I wrote about that, and and even if you don't know the story, yeah, it's in the name. Yeah, basically, from what I've read about that, people that are wearing would would live on those spikes, but they could live for days. Yeah, like Mike the headless chicken. Yeah, I mean, could like living for days on a spike. Yeah. Like, I can you imagine like five minutes of that? I don't want to. Exactly. Quite frankly. Yeah. Basically, uh, he was like, "That's not an option. I'm not getting like we're not getting impaled." We need, like, we need to win or die. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so basically, um, they, but they actually managed to, um, win this battle because of, like, even though Budokad had lots of, uh, numbers, mm. they weren't trained forces. Like, yeah. The Romans had heavy infantry. Yeah. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of Budokad's troops were, were, uh, very light and a lot of their pro- like they weren't trained against heavy infantry yeah a lot of their um, missiles and stuff would have just bounced off the armor yeah they're not saying that they didn't get some some licks but honestly it was nothing i'll give you the numbers later but okay. it was nothing <laughs> okay yeah basically um because the british forces weren't very maneuverable and they didn't have many open field tactics it put them at a quite a disadvantage who were quite who were quite used to open combat yeah um and had a lot of armor and uh, discipline, and because they because they picked a very narrow field, Boudicca could only put forth as so many troops at a time. Like this. Yeah. so, they they basically equaled equal the Romans for a while, and the Romans basically just tore through them. Like they basically started off by uh, standing the ground and using and firing and throwing volleys of uh, pila, which are heavy javelins, yeah. basically, if you want, if you aren't sure. And they killed 
thousands of Britons like this before they re- like before they really made managed to engage. And could you imagine like going into combat after you've seen thousands of people just die from again? I don't want to from it's, uh, like brutal. And pictures of like normally in a in a like if you're in a formation, you can maybe see what five lines ahead of you at most. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, you're not sure. Now imagine you have thousands of people dying in front of you yeah. when you can only see that far ahead of you and yeah. you don't know what you're going into at that point so morale was getting wrecked for it already but yeah basically after this they engaged uh, because second wave in the open and uh, they were advancing a wedge formation which mm. um, the Britons weren't really expecting to be fought, faced by a charge yeah with 10,000 against about 230,000 mm. that's nothing <laughs> like nothing that's less than 10% yeah I'll give you that um, yeah, they because they'd used aboard all of their like, javelins, they charged them in this, but in this wedge formation, which um, basically is a lot more effective. Because basically, it means they they could have they could fight from multiple directions at once. Yeah. And uh, as it is, the Britons started to flee, but um, because they had wagons stationed in the ring around them, which some people like, there are a few different things. Some people were like, oh, maybe they wanted to watch the battle. Yeah. But it's much more likely that. Um, it was just because they had they were trying to stop the Romans from fleeing past them. Um, but because because of this, they basically um, got impeded and uh, squashed. Yeah, I suppose the word is, and basically were just slaughtered against it because yeah. they just weren't used to the, this kind of tactic. And yeah, they just got got destroyed. I believe that the according to Tacticus, uh, about eighty thousand Britons fell. Okay, so that's at least one one kill per. Per, like eight kills per Roman. Not bad. Like, you know, credit where cre- as much as I love the concept of Boudicca, credit where credit's due to the Romans. Yeah, like armor is useful, believe it or not. Yeah, strange. And enough. so are actual. So is actually being uh, very organized because I'm not going to go into now, but Roman um, training was in- insane. Oh yeah. I'm just going to put in this one thing. Like basically, if if a legion fucked up enough. Like, this is where the word decimate came from. Basically, uh, one in ten would be put to death. No matter, like, it didn't matter who was in, like, who, who the issue was with. Yeah. One in ten of them would be put to death. I only know what decimated means because of Doctor Who. I know it because of uh, Brent Weeks. I'm not even, even going to say what series it is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, yeah. And in comparison to this, it's uh, said that, like I, said, like I say, with uh, ancient numbers... Tend to be exaggerated, so I, I don't I don't believe it's yeah. exactly one of the one or the other is wrong. Healthy no skepticism. Way. We're but approaching yeah. this with healthy skepticism. But almost, almost eighty thousand Britons fell, but compared to only four hundred Romans. Yeah. Like there's something wrong here, in my opinion. <laughs> like even if you have armor, you have an exposed face. Yeah. And when you got that many people. You get hit in the... F- At least some people get hit in the face, Also, right? let's face it. It wasn't exactly full body armor. They were in skirts. Yeah. Sorry, like, tunics. <laughs> I mean, there were probably a lot of injuries, but... Yeah. Like, still. Yeah. Like, there must have been more deaths than that, like... Well, was this counting mortalities? I don't believe armor? so. I think it's purely from battle. Okay, well, there so, we go. Um, but even then, it's like 80,000 compared yeah. to 400. Um, yes. After this, according to Tacticus, uh, Boudicca had poisoned herself... Though uh, Dio doesn't actually mention suicide, and she says she fell sick and died, um, and was given a lavish burial. Uh, but this, it's a lot of uh, sources tend to say that yeah. this was a just a way to get her out of the story conveniently. Well, the story that I was told as a kid, strangely enough, was that um, she and her daughters poisoned themselves. Yes, yeah, so like po- like poison is pro- is basically it's more like that she did poison herself. Yeah, Dio must have read Tacticus at least a bit, so. And he didn't mention suicide at all, mm. despite the it says 
it says a bit about what Dio was like. Yeah. I think. Especially because he, if I'm right, he also, he also meant, Dio did still mention that um, Postumus and Nero also ended ended their own lives. So he wasn't, it wasn't the suit just because it was suicide. Yeah. There was something else there. Um, but yeah, because basically after after the victory that just happened, uh, Postumus, who basically didn't, was one that didn't answer the call, mm. he uh, ended up uh, falling on his own sword because he didn't let his legion take part in that glory. Was this literally falling on his own sword? Um, it was probably intentional, but <laughs> it's it, everything that's, everything I've read just says fell on his sword. Like, Fair so, enough. P- quite possibly I mean, literally then. He could have just fallen on some stairs with, and like, you know, <laughs> but I don't know. Tripped and fell on his own shears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after this, it's just to finish off. No historical records really say what happened to her daughters. Oh, I was as far always as I told tell. that she and her daughters but, um, themselves together. That's one of the big stories. The other, one of the other ones is that um, she died. They died in battle. Yeah. But um, it's not very clear, and a lot of people say different things. Well, to be fair, we've reached like, the point of legend, really. Yeah, and honestly, when it's that far, when it's that far, far in the past, it's very yeah. hard to tell. Like, especially because. When you think about it, they don't even they don't even know the exact location of the battle, considering how many people yeah. died there. It's pretty impressive. Um, but surprisingly, after this, Suto, because um, basically Nero basically feared uh, that Suetonius' action provoke further rebellion, he um, replaced him. But um, at the same time, Suetonius was not. It wasn't in disgrace. Yeah. Because a lot of uh, like there are records of Suetonius being in like there's no records of him just being like shut down. Yeah. Like he had. I think I believe he did have more influence in Rome afterwards. Okay. Um, but they basically just just like you can't really control Britain <laughs> because people like all the locals have just been like, yeah, we now have reason to literally fight. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's about. I think that's pretty much about all we need to say. I think. And, yeah, I um, mean, while the massacres were horrendous, you know, taken at what they were, it is pretty impressive that you know this woman yeah. was able to lead all these people. And honestly, yeah, I think. Uh, she is one of my favorite history figures. Yeah. Um, but it's it's also a big testament to uh, when you to uh, when you hear all these heroes and past stuff. But a lot of people when you hear these stories, they don't read about it afterwards, and they and this is why they become heroic. Some of these people all like still were the cause of massacres yeah. and atrocities across the world. Like no matter what civilization you went, like a lot of ancient, yeah. a lot of people have been the cause of atrocities, heroes or not. And uh, a lot of the time. Like like the same goes to the victor goes the spoils. Yeah. Like. I mean, I think the lesson here is uh, you put someone on a pedestal, they're gonna fall off. I think the lesson is don't lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's basically all I have to say about that. Uh, there there is more to it, and I'd rec- definitely recommend looking at, looking more up. Um, the historic historia civilis uh, YouTube page is also very good for this as a ten minute summary, and uh, with a lot of like, little nice animation stuff, and I and that's part of where I got like this. Awesome. Um, uh, the rest of it is from the first page of Google, <laughs> so uh, you can pretty you can pretty easily find a lot of information about her, and it's very it's very interesting. It to, is it to... is interesting because uh, you know I think once it gets to Roman Britain, that's when we feel like British history kicks off. But actually, we've got a couple thousand years oh, of course in before that. So yeah, like, no, it is interesting. Um, another thing is like a lot of people like recently. I think a lot of people do think this is a lot. Uh, her story basically became um, immortalized based around the Victorian times, yeah. where uh, people became interested in like the history and stuff. And this was like a story about someone fighting back against all these foreign people didn't like that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I I don't really know that detail, but I have but it's it's come up at least three or four times when yeah. I, like when I've read across different pages. 
I thought it was worth mentioning, but I don't know enough to really go into it that yeah. much. But honestly, I think the main thing to think about here, even though that even if that was true, I think the main thing to to think about here is just how here like people are here uh, immortalized as heroes. Yeah, aren't always perfect. Sometimes, like to be sometimes fair, they could have. You who know, is? I mean, sometimes you could have you know accidentally led to the deaths of thousands. You know, a couple hundred thousand like, here and there, give or take. This wasn't across the time that a very long period either. So across this period, like the cities yeah. and this one battle, like over one hundred and sixty thousand people were killed. Yeah, it puts a few things like, into perspective, doesn't it? Doesn't it like so much, just a little like, bit conscious of time. Yeah, sure. Uh, my home, basically, my hometown has an average a population of like seventy five thousand. So yeah, <laughs> like and that's an entire like an entire like modern city town that's just been destroyed. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll wrap up here, and I'll cool. yes. Do you want to plug anything before we head off? Not particularly. Just uh, reiterate what I was saying earlier that if you know anything that we were talking about a little bit earlier in terms of mental health has struck a chord, please, please, please go and speak to your GP. Find out what options are out there and give it a try because there is always something out there. I'll definitely not, agree with that. You're not alone. I promise you, you're not alone. Go and get some help. But yes. So uh, we'll wrap up there, and um, I'll do the exit thing later on. Yeah. Awesome, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah well, hopefully you're always welcome on again. And, thank you, um, I've got I hope more material, fun. so I'll uh, yeah. you'll be hearing from me again, undoubtedly. Yeah, well, I hope you had fun, uh, I because I, sh- I certainly did. Um, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, awesome. All right, then. Um, anyway, that was Beck Scoff, who has had to dash off real quick because of the time, so I'll be wrapping this one up by myself. Uh, just a couple quick shout-outs before I sign off. Uh, one is for Historia Civilis on YouTube, where I got a fair amount of info about Boudicca. Definitely check that channel out if you're interested in Roman history stuff, they've got some great videos. Uh, and another shout-out to Nox Arcana. Um, you may have noticed the music in this episode has been a diff- little different. And that's because those real talented guys have basically let me use their, some of their music, and uh, they are amazing. Lots of creepy and fantasy-style music that's great for the Halloween season, or if you like me, just for kicks. Um, anyway, I'll link them in the description, so you can find them pretty easily. And on that, I think... Uh, we are done. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodunderrocks or twitter at the bloody rocks uh, we also have an email address which is at botrpodcast at gmail.com and um yeah this is actually taylor signing off and i'll see you next tuesday have a great week Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.